Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello and welcome to my conversations with the awesome Michelle Woodward. I'm so delighted that we actually get to talk because there were snafus that were happening in trying to get us connected today. So I'm glad we're here and we are going to talk about Dealing with disappointment, or if you want a more positive spin, turning disappointment into delight. Michelle, hello and welcome back. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) So this is an important topic. And before we even started recording, we started talking about disappointment and um, and how we move through it. And then I was like, wait, we, we we need to get this recorded. We need to start rolling tape on this. So gosh, how do I even segue into this? Here, I, I, I know how I'll segue. Sometimes I can, and I've gotten a lot better at this because I've really had to practice this. I used to, when disappointment would happen, I would have my pity party. I would pitch a tent, build a campfire, and just invite people and create that as evidence of, see, woe is me. This is my life. And through the years with practicing and with support, and I've been able to move through that and you know, ask myself questions like, what can I learn from this? Or what do I want to refocus on? And um, how do you turn disappointment into delight? Well, this actually happened to me yesterday. Um, I had a situation where I had a new client come to me uh, by a referral and worked great. The client decided that this client wanted to work with me. And then I found out that the person who referred the business wanted a hefty referral fee which I didn't price myself on, you know, the, the referral fee concept. And then I got myself a little bit like in a snit because was somebody asking for a referral fee to sort of, to, this is where my mind went to kind of uh, impress upon me that we are of different status. And then how dare somebody tell me that we're of different status. This person would have, would be somebody who could come to me without this referral, but this referral came because this other person couldn't do it because of their timing. And then, so I just got, I was so disappointed. I I just got myself into this, like, I cannot freaking believe I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the client. I'm just not, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, throw my hand up. Like I'm a, some sort of, I don't know what. And uh, so I stomped around the house a little bit. There, there's no, I'm not going to kid you. And there's a great book that I really love uh, called um, How Can I Forgive You by Dr. Janice Abrams Spring. And she talks about a 10-step plan, uh, 10 steps to get to acceptance, which is a, a state just short of forgiveness. But sometimes you can't get to forgiveness because the other party is not available. So what you can do on your own is acceptance. And what I realize is sometimes I have to be mad because one of her things is uh, honor the full sweep of your emotions. I have to allow myself the full sweep of my emotions and figure out what's underlying there. What was underlying there was my ego that somebody was telling me that they were better than me and that I should pay them for the referral. Can you tell? I'm still a little (laughs) got that going. And you know what I did is I just, I, um, texted a good friend of mine and I said, you need to coach me off the ledge on this one. And we spent about 10 minutes talking about it and uh, I was much better. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to work with a client. I'm going to pay the referral fee because that's to, to give the client what the client needs. That's what I have to do. And I'm okay with it. So I'm confused. What do you mean about the better than you bit? Um, okay, Dr. Freud. Uh, I will say like if somebody's a, is sort of saying, I'm a, I'm a bigger coach than you. I'm a more important coach than you. I'm a more sought after coach for you than Mm -hmm. you. So I am sending you this business, but because I am being such a noblesse oblige and sending you this client, you have to give me 30% of the fee. Mm. That's what got me 
Like, who the heck do you think you are? And who the heck do you think I am? Mm-hmm. See, that's the ego. See, I'm not one that says we don't have to have ego. I'm, I know that a lot of spiritual teachers say, you know, the, the highest expression of a spiritual life is to be egoless. And I, I actually disagree because I think the ego can be a really great uh, canary in the coal mine an early warning system to say, hey, somebody is stepping on your toes here. Hey, this this feels ouchy. And it's really important when something hurts to say ouch, and sometimes it's the ego that's the one that tells you ouch first. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. I, I, I so believe that it's important to listen to what's going on and um, whether we the, the feelings or the ego... And, um, and then to help us move through it, you know, and to feel it versus just jumping, just, oh, let me just change that thought and just jump through it because then I think it still stays there unresolved. I, I do wonder, cause I'm just not there yet. Um, you know, with those, with the people and you think about like Eckhart Tolle and stuff, um, or Byron Katie, if maybe they're just at this higher level of evolvement. And so that's why the ego can dissolve and we're still, I'm thinking of Dr. David Hawkins, who's been a guest of mine. Um, and uh, listeners have just recently been emailing me about thanking me for the shows. But um, he has this kind of like, I, I'm going to really mess this up, but different levels of, I don't know, of like spirituality or well-being. And please email me to, so I can get this right uh, for those listeners that you know are Dr. Hawkins fans. But that's kind of what I'm thinking of. I, you know, Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but... I I think I think knowing that you have the ego and identifying with it and understanding what it's saying and then checking with like getting perspective, right, right. is really the important thing. I I always say ego. It's okay to have ego in your car, but let it be a passenger. Don't let it be the driver. <laughs> you know. And so I mean, I would say even Katie Byron Katie, um, you know, because I've met her several times. Um, you know, she she cares about her appearance and she cares about whether people listen. And granted, um, you know, I, I've even heard her say at times, wow, no one's ever said that to me. I need to think about that for a minute. And to me, that's like the highest expression of, of evolvement is to say, I'm having this emotion. I know I'm having this emotion. I'm, I'm recognizing this emotion. I'm just going to freaking have the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to say, I'm going to honor that full sweep of it. And then I'm going to say, so what do I learn from this? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's so important. The honoring that full sweep of it is so critical. And then what can I learn from this? How do I want to move through it? What do I want to do? Do I want to work with this client or do I not? Right. And disappointment can come in many phases. You know, your child can disappoint you. Because you had this idea that, um, you know, that every, you took them to swim practice every morning at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Tell me if I'm getting too close. But, you know, and, and, and when they get to be, you know, 13 years old, they turn to you and say, I don't really want to do swimming anymore. I think I want to do theater. You know, it's fair as a parent to take a long drive in your car or a long walk by yourself and feel the emotion that you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have all the other swim parents as friends. Oh my gosh, we're going to have another, you know, weird schedule. Oh my gosh, all the people who do theater, you know, are drug addicts. I don't know. You know, you, you go through that full sweep of emotion and say, so what is this really telling me about me? Then you can go back to your child and be your, your child's advocate instead of like, are you sure you want to quit swimming, honey? When really it's all about what does it mean for you? That is an important question, right? What is it really telling me about me? I think if we can all ask ourselves that, um, that I think that that's that's such a the root of a lot of the stuff. It's not how somebody is doing something, but what is it telling me about me in the terms of what is it triggering me inside? Um, what am you know? What am I making it mean? Is a question that I ask myself. But I really like that question. What is it really telling me about me? Yeah, I think that Janice Abrams Spring book. It's an old book. I mean, it's been around maybe maybe eight or ten years. Uh, How can I forgive you? 
I think it's a very solid, uh, it's a very empathetic, but a very solid way to get to a place of forgiveness. Because um, I think as many of us have experienced that you can be in kind of a stressful period or an uncertain period or depressed period. And then once you kind of get to that place of forgiveness, um, once you can get to acceptance, then you can actually go and be in delight um, because you aren't really hung up on the stuff that was holding you back before. What? You don't, you don't, no. you don't buy it? <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's, I think that acceptance piece, piece is really important. Like I think about, you know, um, we talk about thought work, right? We have a lot of colleagues that use thought work. And, and I know when I've taught it to my clients and they went and they changed their thought, but they never really got to the feeling or it was very out there still. Um, it wasn't quite as effective. And or they just don't want to feel sad or they don't want to feel angry because nice girls don't do that, right? Um, but instead of like, or they don't want to feel shame. And instead, when we can feel those feelings and then pay attention to like, and it's not, it's not this easy, like I, I feel like sometimes it's, remember those, you know, those diagrams that it says, okay, here's a choice. Do you go yes or no? And then you keep following these lines and these bubbles and then here's the decision. Like, I feel like sometimes life is a lot messier than that. But when you can feel your feelings and identify what's going on and accept, okay, I'm really sad or right now I am really disappointed or I am really still angry, right? But does this work line up with what I want to do? Does this holiday, you know, we have Thanksgiving coming up and actually this won't be aired until afterwards. We have the Christmas coming up or the holiday season and how do we make those decisions? And part of it, that acceptance piece, I think it's got to be part of, I think, what we talk about. Well, I mean, I think there's just so many t- tracks to go down with this. Like, so for, for some of us, we don't, ha- we don't want to feel feelings we're not experienced with managing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or we were, when we were kids, you know, like, don't cry, don't cry. Don't you sit there and cry, which of course makes you cry more. But if you kind of got this learning that that your feelings, that there was no good emotion other than like blissful happiness, uh, and so it had to be fake, um, it, you can get to be a grown-up and actually not have had the experience of feeling grief. Okay, so yesterday I get a phone call because in our town, and I didn't, I wasn't even aware of this, but I guess last weekend there was a soccer, it was probably high school section. So we don't have a state championship because our state's so big. We have different sections throughout the state. And, um, and I guess the game got kind of heated. The official made a call. Some of the players from our ta- team, um, got really angry, started mouthing off to the official. And then the goalie went and pushed the official. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. And so, and so I got a call kind of asked me about it and what I thought and, and, uh, you know, being a coach and, um, you know, when I coached water polo, cause in swimming, we don't, you just don't really have that kind of emotional engagement with, with officials, but in water polo, it can be. And one of the things I always talked about with my athletes was y- you always treat the official with respect, no matter what, if they make a bad call, you keep, treat them with respect. There is a boundary. And, um, and then I was, and then I called my husband later in the afternoon and, and he had actually heard about it. Um, and so he then told me a story that I forgot that there was this, uh, water polo championships in one of the teams that, uh, wins quite a bit. Um, they were in there and then it was with the team that I don't know if I'd ever been to the championship game, excuse me. And that team, the underdog won. And I guess my husband wrote a letter because he was so impressed with, the the school Jesuit that had won many times, who he was one of his competitors when he coached high school. And um, because the guys cared so much and they were crying afterwards, right? Which is a huge vulnerability for high school boys, but they were crying. And he said, but he thought that how they how they handled their emotions, and he really attributed it to their coach at the time, because he did a good job of you know, in high school sports, you care so much and you've got these 
boys who don't really know how to deal with their emotions, who haven't been taught, but what a great opportunity to practice emotional intelligence of like, you can care and you can be so pent up and care, but what are the appropriate ways for it to come out and what are the inappropriate ways to come out? And, um, and I think that's what you're talking about with if you haven't been able to practice this emotional well-being, right, and feeling these feelings, and then we can, we can do stuff that's destructive instead of turning into delight. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, as parents, I know we've talked about parenting recently uh, on this show, but I do think that, that you have to, like, put your own parenting, like, oh, my God, this is weird. <laughs> you know, I can't believe my kid is having this, this feeling because I never had that feeling or I don't know how to manage this feeling and instead step back and say, wow, if, if this child needs to feel really angry, as long as they're not hurting anybody, as long as there's no sharp implements involved, I'm going to actually allow them to experience what this experience is or sadness or grief or pride. This is another one that we squash down. You know, we don't allow people to feel proud of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, if we can step up as, as adults, however we interact with other people, and kind of model that it's okay to say, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that. You know, I, I posted a thing on Facebook with this group that I manage that I was, uh, I was at a baseball game with a friend of mine, and I, you know, was between innings and a lot was going on, and I just quickly checked my email and I saw that the open rate on my newsletter, which had sent out that morning, was ahead of its usual pace. And I'm looking at my phone and I went, yay me. And my friend Amy says, did you just, did I just hear you? Did you say yay me? And I'm like, yeah. I said, yay me, yay me, my numbers are up. And she said, I never say yay me. I'm like, you should try it. (laughs) Because if I don't say yay me for me, even if I just say it like that, yay me, I didn't stand up and say yay me, I didn't get a tattoo, I didn't hire a skywriter, yay me. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, yay me. Mm-hmm. And I try to say yay me often so that I'm aware that I'm actually doing stuff that I can be proud of. That's another way to turn despair into delight. So I've taken that from you and I've used that a lot, like the yay me, because I think the small things really matter, right? It doesn't have to be a big public celebration, but it can be just a yay me. And if we can say that to ourselves and have, give ourselves empathy and compassion, you know, because I think so often we get into that judger mindset. And I think for me, being when I was so stuck in that disappointment was because I was constantly judging myself. So I was fueling you know, I was rooted in this place of, you know, judgment and shame and not good enough. And, and there was never even that moment of, hey, yay me, like I got to the grocery store today and we're going to have a home cooked meal, right? Whatever it may be that maybe you're yay me. Um, but I think we forget to do that. So I think you're right about the, the, with our kids allowing all the emotions. And that's something that I can be really guilty of. You know, like with my with my kids, if they get really upset, I'm like, I just want to shut it down, right? I don't want that to happen. But instead of keeping that space of like, okay, you're angry, mm-hmm. <laughs> and letting them be angry in with with appropriate boundaries, right? right. Um, and um, learning those feelings. So well, yeah, or you know, try this one on is to say, looks to me like you're angry. Would you call this angry? <laughs> because they may not they may not even know what it is right and so if i tell them that's angry from that point on they're going to think that is angry and that may actually just be irritated it may be frustrated it could be um uh shame mm-hmm. so i i mean i'm like looks looks to me like it's this is that what you would call this because then I'm giving them the ability to, to refine. It's kind of like active listening, right? Mm-hmm. Active listening is where you reframe it back to them. I'm getting them to say, no, no, no. This is not, this is not angry. Let me show you angry. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, this is not angry. This is, I'm just so frustrated because I can't find the right word to tell you how I'm feeling. How much better to help them identify what the word is? I love that. 
That's awesome. Okay, I'm taking that too. All right, you're a, you're a thief. <laughs> I am a, a thief. thief. I love I, that about you. I steal Michelle Woodward stuff, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yay me. Yay, yay you, and you're not the only one. Yay. Um, uh, so, th- so that just turning the, the despair you know, into delight, Let, let's, let's take another situation that a lot of people find themselves in. And, you know, I personally found myself in this with, a you know, a, a long-term marriage where suddenly a partner comes and says, I don't actually want to be partnered. I want to do something different. And before you know it, everything's changed. Like you can literally go from Monday where you think things are one way to Tuesday where things are a completely different way. And in the, the depths of that despair, in that depths of, you know, how is this all going to work out? Am I ever going to be whole again? You know, what's going to happen to my, my family, my friends, my money, everything. You know, if someone said, to, someone did say to me, you know, I know someday you're going to look at this and you're going to be really grateful. And that that was the moment when I realized I was really glad I don't carry a weapon because, <laughs> uh, you know, I would have been all over. But the truth is, is that I can say at this vantage point many years later, that it actually was the best thing that ever happened to me. It took me a while to get there. But I got there, and I can look back and say, hard, challenging, difficult, nearly broke me, but it didn't. And here from this vantage point, I'm actually delighted that I'm in the position that I'm in and you know, no longer in that environment, in that situation. Have you ever had a situation, or do you know of people who say, you know, someday you're going to really appreciate how just everything about this. Oh, yes. Michelle, remember when I was on the floor, curled up in a ball? Oh, I yeah. Was- that was my basement, right? <laughs> <laughs> there was the, oh, you know, when one door closes, another window opens, or uh-huh. this is going to be great because you're going to be able to help your clients through this. Um, so, yes. And because uh, I had a belief that, um, when you're really good at what you do, when you work really hard, you will be safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and things came tumbling down, you know, and uh, but now that I'm out of that and I've moved on and oh, here's what I laugh about. When I was at the college and I was tenured, I my, I really, you know, when I was a young kid and even a young adult, I wanted to be have a safe job, right, where I was guaranteed money. And being a tenured college professor is about as close as you can get to that. And so I was tenured at 29 and I never felt safe a day in that job. And it was just, just didn't feel safe. And now, you know, doing what I do, all the crazy things that I do, but I love, I feel very safe because the resources are within me, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, these are the things that I can do and look at all the different things that I've been able to create. And it hasn't been easy right? And it hasn't been an overnight success, but it's something I just keep showing up and trucking along. And, and I mean, this radio show, right? To be able to have these conversations with you or the, all the people that I've had the opportunity over the last eight years. Um, but uh, it's, it's hard. And um, embracing that struggle, there are days that I just don't want that struggle to be there. But what are the small things that I can say to myself to keep moving through or just to keep showing up? Can we talk about money for a second yes. since you brought brought up the big kahuna of issues that people struggle with? So here's the thing is that so so for instance, let's say let's say you have your own business and let's say you get a new client and let's say for whatever reason um they send you a check. Let's say let's say you're a coach and they send you a check to cover the package and somehow there's been a misunderstanding. And instead of sending you $1,000, they send you $750. There's a moment you open that check because you're thinking that 1000 bucks is, you know, Christmas. Mm-hmm. That 1000 bucks is going to pay off the Visa card. That 1000 bucks is going to pay off your doctor bill or whatever. You've got plans for that money. And so you look at it and you're really disappointed because it's less than you expected. Right in that moment, you have a choice. And like back to your idea of the flow chart, you know, it's like, I'm not saying you have a choice, go here. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, go there. But you have a choice. You can do something or you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And the one way to turn the disappointment into delight is to do something, which is to have the hard conversation, take that little bit of a risk, but call the client and say, I don't know what the confusion is, 
but you know, on my website, you can see that this package is a thousand dollars. You know, could you send me the remainder? Now I've done this because, you know, occasionally this happens. I've had a business for a long time. Mm -hmm. 9.9 times out of 10, the person's like, oh my gosh, you know, I was writing that check and I was thinking about writing another check. Mm -hmm. And I'm so sorry. I just transposed the numbers. Of course, I'll send you another, another check. Uh, or would you like me to give you my credit card? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I go into it thinking, I just want to clarify this and find a solution. Not like, oh my gosh, they, they only thought I was worthy of $750. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to work so hard. You know, instead I'm like, wow, must've been some sort of oversight. I'm going to call them, get some more information and see if we can't fix this. Mm -hmm. That's my choice. The other choice would be to do nothing and then probably really resent that client or there's an elephant in the room for the rest of the time you're working with that person, which they may not even, they may not even know why they just sense that kind of negative energy. Well, it goes back to your question of what is this really telling me about me? right? in how you handle that. If you go, oh my gosh, they don't respect the work that I do, right? That's, that's the stuff that you need to clean up. Or if you look at it like, oh, I just want to clarify, here are my rates and this is what I received. Now you're, you're rooted in a different place. Right. Right. And that's true. Like around, you know, when you get gifts, you know, (laughs) I've, I've told this story so many times, it's probably people are now turning the whole thing off. But, you know, let's say that I received a gift of flowers. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that I can react. I can say, I can't believe they put carnations in this arrangement. What a cheapskate. I mean, freaking carnations. Are you kidding me? It's a trash flower. What, what, What is he trying to send? What, what are they trying to say to me? You know, what message are they trying? They don't even like me enough to send me roses. Or I could say, I wonder what he's been up to. He has to send me flowers. Mm-hmm. Or I could say, thank you. It's all my choice, right? No, it's, it is all your choice. And it's how, how do you want to move through it? And, um, and, you know, I always will ask, like, what is the cost to you? Like, if you look at it from a standpoint of, oh my gosh, they're sending me carnations. What does this mean? What's the cost to you there versus when you say, wow, thank you so much. Right. And the realizing that the person who ordered the flowers maybe lives in Hawaii (laughs) and just found a florist that's kind of close to you. Mm -hmm. And the florist kind of close to you is the one that's just trying to make a little bit more profit by putting in a lot of carnations. Mm -hmm. And the person who sent it would be appalled if they knew. Right. Because that's the last they want. They ask for lilies. Right. Or whatever. I mean, I, I think um, our mutual friend Martha Beck once time said did a really funny thing on everybody walks into a room and th- and believes that every eye is upon them as they walk in the room. And <laughs> and re- and researchers have done research to show that when you walk in a room, maybe one person's eyes will flicker upon you. But that's it. But we walk around thinking everybody's eyes are on us all the time. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. No, a lot of people are kind of unconscious and kind of into their own stuff, right? So what does this tell me about me? What does this tell me about how I want to be in the world? Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's that, you know, acceptance, right? So if we can give ourselves that space to look at this, not judging, but from this compassionate place of, oh, what is this telling me about me? You know, is that how I want to be in the world? Or when you think about, you know, what's the cost to my units of energy every day? So when we go around and look at it and go, oh, well, they must not respect me. They must not like me because they sent carnations. The cost is probably going to be pretty huge to us, right? Because then we're going to be in this, I'm not that important. They don't really care about me or they're really cheap. We're in this judger state. And usually judger state doesn't feel very good. Versus if we go, wow, they sent me this. Thank you so much. And what's the cost to me? I mean, it feels pretty good if we can learn how to receive. You know, I am not a, bu- a biblical scholar. I know you find that just shockingly <laughs> surprising. I'm really not a biblical scholar, and I know I'm going to tell this and mess it up, and somebody will probably write uh, that they're upset that I told it wrong. But there is a, a story in the New Testament of a woman, a very poor woman, uh, going into a synagogue and putting her last two pennies in the offering 
And one person looks and says, oh, can you believe she only put in two pennies? And Jesus turns and says, she put in the most of all. So I always think that it's so important to look at where's the person coming from. You know, if my neighbor with Down syndrome uh, buys a bouquet of carnations for me from the grocery store because she thinks they're pretty and she wants to give them to me, I'm going to accept them in the spirit that she gave to me. Because really the gift is more about her. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, it's, and it's she is delighted with them. I'm going to be delighted with them. You know, or if um, I used to work, as you know, with the people at the D.C. Central Kitchen. You know, if a guy who's been 30 years in jail and this is his actual first job where he's getting a paycheck. You know, if if that guy comes up to me and asks me um, if I would take a minute to look at his resume. It's a different kind of personal interaction. And I'm going to try. I try to think, where is this guy coming from and how can I meet him there? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes back to this idea of human connection, right? And how can we connect with people and get out, take some of the measurements out of the way? Right. 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 That I'm not, you know, I'm whatever. I'm too good to talk to the, to anybody, you know, that's not it. Everybody, look everybody in the eye, right? Mm-hmm. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to this money piece, though, because you probably deal with this with your clients, and I know I deal with it with mine, but the money, you know, like the disappointment of when somebody's in their career and they're not earning the kind of money that they thought that they would or that they wanted to, whether they're self-employed or working in the corporate world, um, how do you help people move through that? Well, first you have to examine why do they think they need to be making that much money or whatever the dollar figure is? You know, if they say, well, you know, my dad, I'll, my dad never earned a hundred thousand dollars a year. So, you know, I, if I can earn a hundred thousand dollars a year, I've really made something of my life. <laughs> you know, that's one thing. Or my best friend, Phil, you know, makes a hundred grand. So I want to be like Phil. So I need to make a hundred grand too. Um, that you know, if it if it's coming from some external thing, um, a lot of times I try to help them work on what. Well, what would it mean? You know, what are you making this mean to use yours? But or what what does this mean? And then, what do you think would be different when you got that? And for for some people now, you know, the money once you get to a certain point, the money is not is just a thing. Mm-hmm. What they'd really like it was sometimes in coaching it comes out. It's like it's actually. I don't want the money and the title. What I'd like to do is I'd like for them to pay me to, for me to go get my master's degree. Mm-hmm. What I'd really like for them to do is give me two weeks off in August. You know, and so if you can get a sense of the why of the money, um, or in the case of people who are self-employed, you know, are, is there any way in which they're in their own way uh, and, and not unleashing the possibility of more money in their lives. In other words, they're, they're reticent to have the difficult conversations about money. They're reluctant to price things. Um, my prices are on my website. I figure if people go to the website, they look at the prices and that will work for them, then good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just be transparent. But if, you know, so if there are ways that people are getting in their own way, I try to help them get out of their own way to conquer those fears to challenge those assumptions that they have and maybe find a new way of doing it. What do you do? Um, I go, they're disappointed. Let me think. I was so stuck in how your process. One is I find out about their money story, you know, and what does it mean? Um, the why, I go into the why. Um, and what else? We... The I think we I, the money's been a big topic this week with clients, and um, so one of the things like when I asked them what what does money mean to you, the number one thing answer that was coming up was security, and um, and I'm really pragmatic person, so you know I'm not oh just follow your passion and the money will appear. Um, it can look like that, but th- I think there's a lot of steps that happen. Um, so one of the things that I've talked about is 
you know, when you look at money as security, is that coming from a place of scarcity? Because I, mm-hmm. I talk a lot about where are you rooted? Because I think it's the stuff underneath, whether you're in athletics, in per- career, in relationships, it's the stuff really underneath that can fuel your actions forward. So, um, so if security is rooted in like fear or scarcity, and I've been there, um, that any, how you see money is going to be very clingy. And mm-hmm. if you can look at money as fuel, like, because I also have clients that have a lot of guilt for their money, right? But it's like, well, how do you want to live your life? How do you, how do you want to fuel it? What are the things that you want to do? And are they aligned with your values? Right. Cause they'll feel like, Oh, well, I'm spoiled because I, you know, I think one of the things that uh, one of my clients was accused of is you're a spoiled brat. Right. And it's those kind of messages. But how do you want to fuel your life? And everybody has different things that they want to do. It goes back to like our values, strengths and priorities conversations that we had. Mm-hmm. So when they can kind of switch money over to be like, it's fuel, just like food is fuel. Right. And it's about how do we want to eat to nourish ourselves? the money in our life, how do we want it to nourish the life that we want? You know, and what are our values? And everybody's values around money are going to be really different. So here's, here's an interesting story. So uh, this week I went to the orthodontist. It's the second time this month. And my husband is, he's probably would be dying if he knew I was talking about this, but he's a really financially conservative. He's very fiscally conservative. His, this is a very public goal of his is to spend no more than a hundred dollars a year on clothes. And it doesn't count his Oakleys and it doesn't count any of his running shoes because we believe in good shoes or his shoes that he works on the pool deck. But, and then, you know, he gets like free polos and he gets stuff like that. So, but like clothing, he's like, why would I need more clothing? I want less. I don't need, like, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. It's not in his values. Right. So we go to the orthodontist, second appointment, walk out, you know, and it's so interesting how it happens in the office. And so the woman gives us our package and, you know, like kind of like, oh, this is a big package. This is a big number and stuff. And we get it. And I look and it's the same price as my other daughters and stuff. And and we leave. And I, you know, so now one is the value of that service because one of the things for us is that we really value health. That's a really important priority and value for us, right? And the our orthodontist, we I I just I I find really good people in my life who are kind of like on our team to support us in all these different ways. And I really trust our orthodontist. And, um, and then the other side was I looked at my husband and I go, you know, I don't think working in a dental office would be, I think it'd be a great place to work. It just, and I could be wrong. I have a friend who works for a dentist and it is a nice place, but there's seems to not be the bureaucracy, right? There's, there's more harmony and it could just be also the story of being on the other side. And I said, you know, if, if our orthodontist is paying, you know, nice living wages for his employees and it's in a good environment, like, I feel good about spending this money, right? It's a large sum of money, but I feel good about spending it. It lines up with all the values. My husband does not, it does not bother him to spend that kind of money. Mm. Um, so, but I think it's because it's aligned with our values. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and again, what are you, what are you making money mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I've known people whose parents refuse to have braces because get braces for their kids because only rich people who mm-hmm. are idiots put braces on their kids' teeth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, it is. I what what are you making money mean? I I went up and saw my son um, this past weekend in Boston because he's moved to Boston, and I took him and a, he and a friend out for dinner. I took him to lunch. I took him to dinner. And the friend, you know, reached for his wallet and I said, no, no, fine, I got it. And he said, but Mrs. Woodward, you know, you've, you've paid for everything all day. And I looked at him and I said, and the amount of money I've spent is less than my hourly rate. <laughs> and the, he did the same thing. And my son just said, see, this is what my mother is like, you know, kind of thing. But again, to put it into context, you know, mm-hmm. this is less than what I charge for a breakfast, lunch and dinner with these guys was less than I charged for an hour of my time. Mm-hmm. So I could be all clingy and say, oh, you know, we probably let's share, let's share an entree mm-hmm. because I'm clingy. Or I can say, have what you'd like. Let me, let me treat you. Enjoy. Have you ever tried? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's about like when we talk about turning disappointment to delight, right? I mean, there was a time 
that probably in your life when you were going through a divorce, that that may not have been your reality, would it? No. Or when I was in college, I was, you know, paid paying my way through college, I had a budget of $9 a week for food, $9. And I mean, even though it was a different time, you know, what it was, was a back, a box of elbow macaroni, a stick of butter, a hunk of cheese, six eggs. And then depending on what was on sale, I would get something like proteiny, you know, whatever, like if it was a pork chop or it was, sometimes I ate chicken gizzards lucky me. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, a loaf of bread, which I would try to make work, but you can stick all that in a backpack mm-hmm. and you can put it in, you know, get on your bike and ride to your apartment. But yeah, so no, believe me, there've been times when I've had to be very, you know, reasonable about food, which makes it very nice when I'm able to do things for other people in a free way. And it's like, there's no, you know, I wasn't being like a bully, like, you know, you boys better appreciate what I'm doing for you. Because <laughs> that's, that's not the energy I wanted to have there, too. I just wanted to be a celebration. Mm-hmm. Plus, we were having lobster, so it was good. <laughs> and you were where you were, which I would imagine is good lobster. Excellent. Excellent lobster. Lobster. So how they say it. One of the things that I really invite the listeners, right, because we can, you can get into, and I know that this has happened, I've gotten emails, you can get into your own shame storm listening to Michelle and I, right? And you can get into compare and despair. But really, it's about um, if you're not making the kind of money that you want, getting really clear about that and looking at what are the different ways that you can. You know, it's not that Michelle and I were born with silver spoons in our mouth and here we are one day or somebody waved this magic wand and now people want to spend, you know, lots of money to work with us. We've done work. We've done these small things throughout. And one of the things that we were talking about before I turned on the record button, Michelle, was the, the I guess, being rooted in courage and willing to fail and can you talk about that in terms of dealing with disappointment? Yeah. So this week I've been doing some business planning and I sent out to about 10 former clients and current clients a question from the University of Michigan Business School called the Reflected Best Self Exercise, which is you ask people to recall times when they've seen you at your best and you know what specifically did they witness. And What's coming back to me as people are sending me the responses is that there's this recognition that I am brave enough to do something or say something, even if I know I might fail. And believe me, that is not a, I'm a reformed control freak. (laughs) Um, It is not easy to, it is not easy to like in a coaching session, ask a question, um, that, you know, the, the client may say, no, 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 that's not it at all. But what my mind is, I can say, blah, blah, whatever, I can ask the question. If they say, no, no, that's not it at all, I've helped them get clear. Because mm-hmm. whenever they say, no, no, it's not that, it's this, then at least they're saying what it is. Um, I, am, I am willing to be the person who asks where the emperor's shirt is. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take the risk because in a larger picture – the upside is the person that I'm doing, I'm taking the risk with has the, they have the upside to be clearer or I have the upside to be clearer. Yeah. I think that courage piece and taking those risks, right. When we're in that disappointment, that can help us move forward because I think it's safe and you can tell me where I'm wrong, but I think it's safe to stay like when I was disappointed and I would pitch my tent, build a campfire, right? It was safe to stay there and just fondle that and say, oh, well, this is woe is me. This is what happened. Woe is me versus saying, okay, what can I go try? Because one of the big things for me and part of it has to do, I think, with my Asian heritage, there's some message that I learned, but it was like, you save face. I remember Mm -hmm. that. That was like, you save face, you know, no shame, safe face, make it look better than it is. And so I know how to do that dance really well. Um, But when you can have courage and say, okay, this is not what I thought. What can I do to move forward? Move, you know, like I'll say, move through the swampland. So Mm -hmm. instead of pitching the tent in the swampland and living there, which I've 
done for long periods of time is a lot of times I go, okay, I'm moving through the swampland and how can I move? And I know for me, courage is one of the key things I lean on. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times I I work, as you know, uh, some with people who are looking for a new job and that's a really an important time to be brave because, um, 95% of jobs today are filled by internal personal referral. The higher you go up on the food chain in an organization, the more and more true that is. You know, if you're at an entry-level job, it's easier to get an entry-level job with an internal referral. But if you're coming in as a SVP or a CEO or any of that stuff, referral is really the way it it helps. So um, you have to be brave enough to say, here's the job I'm looking for. You have to be brave enough to say, hey, I heard you're having a problem with this. You know I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. And there's so many of us would prefer someone just tap us on the shoulder and say, would you be willing to be CEO of Coca-Cola? <laughs> right? Because I mean, it kind of sounds like a cool job. Um, but would you like to, you know, that we'd like, we wait, especially women, we wait mm-hmm. to be tapped on the shoulder when really the way to make the opportunity happen is to get your courage going, be brave, and say, I'd really like to do this work. Yeah, instead of waiting for permission is asking for what you want. Right. So that's how we go from disappointment into delight. (laughs) Right. And chocolate helps, I'm just saying. (laughs) Chocolate, friends via text. Right. Or phone calls or Skype or whatever, right? Whoever's on your support, support team, I call them like, I, I always talk about the team aspect. Who are the people on your team so that you don't stay stuck? Like I think I used to invite, I know I did this. I would invite people that would allow me to stay in that swampland, right? And now it's like, okay, that goal is not to stay in that swampland. The, the goal is to move forward. Who can I help? Who can I reach out to that can help me move forward? Right. That are going to give you empathy and say, boy, this really stinks. I'm so sorry you're having this. What are you going to do about it? Like we mm-hmm. talked about before, but not like, oh my gosh, the same thing happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten over it. You'll never get over it either. Come over and sit on the couch and let's <laughs> eat marshmallows. You know, stuff like that. We're going to commiserate. Yes, the world right. is evil. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Michelle... Thank you so much for uh, talking. This is a great way to end my week. So I really appreciate that. I'm glad it my worked out. My pleasure. And every time I talk to you, you turn despair into delight. <laughs> well, there Wait, we go. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Thank you. So the books that Michelle talked about, How I Can Forgive um, You, I'll have those links in the show notes. And anytime in the interviews, I usually try to put, I say try to put, I need to preface that the links in the show notes so that way you can click on them. And even those of you who are um, listening via iTunes and the podcast app, if you click on the information button, those links will take you straight into the World Wide Web and to however you want to be connected. So don't fret if you're listening and go, oh my gosh. And I think the most important thing is what are a couple things from this talk can you guys take and implement? Instead of even going and getting more information like, oh, I've got to get the book and then three weeks the book comes, right? What can you take right now? One of the things that Michelle talked about was acceptance, like accepting these feelings. I mean, she's still processing stuff even though she worked through it a bit yesterday. And that's real life, you guys. I I find sometimes Michelle and I are talking about this after we finished the show was um, when I used to have disappointment, I had the story that, oh, it's because of me, because I'm the loser born on loser street. So of course, I'm going to have this life filled with disappointment, right? And then I was so drawn to self-help and, oh, I just have to read this book and it's going to fix my life. And, but still really stuck in that swampland with that tent, living in that tent. And really what I've come to learn is that life is just, it's hard there and not hard in this like draining way, but there's this ease and flow and there's still difficult things and there's a lot of energy that at times that can that is being asked to use to make decisions to set boundaries to deal with disappointment and so it's it's about how do we move through it and and you heard me say this earlier what is the cost what is the cost to you so when we stay in that swampland and we're disappointed what is the cost to you when you think I'm not enough. What is the cost to you? I'm not enough because I got carnations in my flowers, right? 
what is ultimately the cost to you? And, or can you reframe it to, wow, this person sent me flowers or, wow, this person gave me this book. You know, how can, what, how can you minimize your energetic cost to you? Or, you know, uh, my husband didn't do X and what do I make that mean? I mean, that's a big thing I work with my clients a lot is what do you make that mean? You know, and how can you, and is it really true that they don't care about you or they don't respect you? So the dealing with disappointment is also about the stories that we tell ourselves. And that's something that as I reflect on the conversation with Michelle, we didn't really directly say these stories that we tell ourselves um, that create this feeling, right? And, and checking in and getting the perspective of, is that really true? right? Whether it's the flower story or I don't make enough money. It's like, well, what is, is that really true? Or do I want to make more money and why? And when I, when you guys, I talk about roots, where are you rooted? Are you rooted in fear or shame? Are you rooted in love or compassion? You know, what is the sustainable, and this is, I think, key, what are sustainable feelings that allow you to be resilient and flourish? So for me, one of the of sustainable feelings is compassion, right? That it allows me to really flourish. Compassion or, um, you know, like this peace. I, I talk about that a lot with my clients is that I try to get into that state when I go and um, make decisions about things or even before I try to do a courageous ask, get grounded there versus when you're in these feelings of fear then the decisions you're going to, you can be stuck in this lack state and be like, oh, I can't make enough money and I'm just not good enough. And then you start to create all this evidence, which then further um, makes this disappointment worse, right? So where are you rooted and how can you help it either get out of that root? And I'm thinking, when I think of roots, I think of a tree. So the, the roots of the tree. And if you don't have a healthy roots, how can you create healthier roots and move over there and then allow something to grow? That's how you move out of disappointment. Check in with the perspective, right? Know what the stories are. Know what you're feeling, right? Maybe like Michelle, she texted somebody, they got on the phone for about 10 minutes and she walked through it and she's still walking through it. And I think that's really the important thing. I think sometimes we get into... um the self-help and thing, and we read like, oh, you just do this and it happens so easily. You just manifest it. There's a lot of thought processes. What is happening? You know, and I know this, like I can go take this and test this out in my athletic world, right? We may watch the Olympic through my favorite saying of NBC eyes and see, oh, well, they come out. What a wonderful day they have. They come out, they walk out, they get their, take off their clothes, they take off their headphones they get on the blocks, they race, they race, you know, all of this for a minute. They don't look at the entire day of what goes on in preparation or the weeks that go on in preparation. And then the other thing that we even as athletes and coaches don't know is what's all the stuff that's rumbling around underneath? You know, what is the music helping the athletes just get them pumped up, get their energy up? Is it helping drown out that voice of self-doubt that we all have? And again, we all have it. You may not have it in some parts of your life and you may have it in others. You know, one of the areas that I have tremendous self-doubt is in cooking, right? I, and it's like, okay, just practice. I mean, I, I, I say these words of encouragement. I have a voice in the back of my head. It, it's practice. It doesn't have to be perfect. My main goal is do no harm, right? Don't make my family sick or myself. But, and sometimes maybe it won't taste great and that's okay. I have to let go of the old perfectionist in me. So with the athletes, they're constantly talking to themselves or they're tuning out that voice and they've developed skill sets that they may not be aware of. And that's how they've learned how to move through, right? And then you practice the here's, oh, this is something that's so important is that dealing with disappointment takes practice, right? And as, as we go through life, we will have different disappointments and those become practice opportunities of, okay, I have disappointment. Which way to, which path do I choose to go down? And when we, as a parent, this is a great reminder for me is that I want my kids to cultivate as many of these skills as they can while they're home in the safety of our home. 
And so if I come in and fix it, or if I don't allow for disappointments to occur, right? Just like if I don't allow them to feel angry or irritated or agitated, then how are they going to know how, know how to walk through it, right? There were certain skill sets that I didn't learn, and it's not to blame anybody growing up, but I just didn't learn them. And so I've had to spend some adult years learning them. And that's okay. It happened the way that it was supposed to happen for me. But not I, one of the things I think is about allowing these opportunities of d- disappointment where they don't become massive, right? Where the risk can be mitigated a bit and we can help people move through it. So I invite you as I'm closing the show up to think about you know, how do you dis- deal with disappointment? Do you get stuck? I love that. I, you know, this, I say this probably a hundred times a week. I, I used to love to pitch a tent, build a campfire and invite a ton of people. And I knew I was smart enough to know the people that I invited were more than willing to have to s- sit around with me and commiserate the, the horrible things, right? Or the things that I thought are the disappointments. And now I really work on being deliberate of moving through that swampland. How do you do it? Because it's not a blueprint, right? Everybody has their own process. Michelle has some great questions to ask or the yay me, but how, what works for you? What, and, and I look at it as these are different ingredients. So again, I'll bring the cooking metaphor. You may like certain spices. Two go-to spices like in my spice rack are garlic salt, garlic powder, and onion powder. Like those, we always have to make sure those are on hand, right? And for you may like, rosemary, right? And, or something else. And I'm not trying to be disdainful of it. There's, everybody has their different spices. So what are the ingredients that work for you? So when you listen to the show, I invite you to think about what can be the nuggets of information or what can you take away and and apply in your own life? They can be ingredients in your own life, in your own recipe. There's not one precise way to do it. And the other side is, Give yourself permission to practice it, to screw it up and to circle back and to do it better. I mean, that's what I do when I'm, I remember the first time I was learning how to um, barbecue steaks. This is like 15 months ago. And um, I, my friend had come over and he had taught me, you know, how to grill steaks. And it was, um, oh my gosh, what was it? It's like these really expensive steaks. I can't remember what they were called. Oh, ribeye steaks. And so then I go to the store and I buy ribeyes and I'm, I'm barbecuing and, I'm, and I think about it, I go, why am I practicing all by myself with ribeyes? Like I should be using a cheaper cut of meat because I could be messing this up. But it, I was already committed. The meat was on the grill. So while maybe I should have started with hamburgers, here I was. And so I practiced with the, with this, the ribeyes and sometimes they're more well done than my family would like it to be, right? And But we eat it and we move through and, and I'm trying to get better at it. And I let go of perfection. And every time I can let go of more and more perfection in the kitchen, the more comfortable I can have be. And the other night I grilled some chicken that was actually really yummy. So you may not want to come to my house for dinner. But all of this is about how do you move through disappointment and get into delight and knowing that we're not going to be in this constant state of delight. So thank you so much for listening Thank you for your emails. And oh my gosh, I finally figured out the other day of how to get into the ratings and reviews. And I read some of your comments and I read all of the comments. Thank you. Really, the iTunes reviews, the emails that you send me, the Facebook comments, you know, the Twitter, all of that stuff. When I read it, it fuels me. It helps me sustain. I love doing the show and I love learning. But we all have our days of doubt. We all have our days of uncertainty. And it's just nice. It's it's kind of like a little dessert, right? It's having it's like having a little ice cream sundae. It's not fuel that I need, but it's it's just a little yummy treat. So thank you so much for taking the time. And those of you that are on my uh, newsletter and hit reply and send me an email, I appreciate it. I read them all. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And those go out about once a week. And we have some email discussions that go there and I write a post every week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take, 
we can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so. Sold-